This is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the National Tsunami podcast. Today, we are offering five conversations from episode 36, in which first-time guest and Anglo-Australian hepatologist James O'Byrne joins Louise Campbell, old friend Naeem Alcori, and me to discuss James's recent Locate Naples study to evaluate strategies for and the value of recruiting high-risk referrals through primary care practices, plus a vault episode from last November addressing the psychology of diet decision-making. This conversation introduces us to James O'Byrne and the Locate Naples study. The first part of the discussion consists of James sharing a bit of his work history and a very interesting fact about himself. The second section consists of Louise Campbell discussing the reason she feels this study is so important and worthy of an episode on this podcast. The third and final part consists of James describing the study design. This podcast does not report much on studies from Australia, which is an environment with some unique challenges that other developed markets would do well to study more and understand better. This episode and its conversation covered parallels between Oz and the Western countries, and as a result, items the Western markets can take away when reviewing these results. It's quite a lot to digest, and very exciting to consider. So sit back, listen, learn, enjoy. And when you're done, join the dialogue in our LinkedIn discussion group. There are a few things that are really different about this episode. For I believe the first time in the podcast, I am on an episode with somebody from Australia that is not Louise, which means that we have people on this podcast at eight in the morning where they live, five in the afternoon where they live. And Louise, what is it, 10 o'clock at night there? Louise Campbell. Yep, 10 o'clock in the evening here. I think it's 7 a.m. where you are, um, James. I lost track of where Naeem is these well, times. Naeem is in his new home in Ohio, so he's at the same time zone I am, five in the afternoon. Naeem, how are you today? Naeem Alkuri. I'm good. How are you? It's been a while. Uh, glad to be on the same time zone like you. This is not uh, often that it happens. So good to be on Eastern time. Yeah, good to have you here. And welcome back to the podcast. You and I have been talking about a couple episodes over the next couple of months that you'll be part of also, which I'm excited about. And then our guest from, from Australia, and I guess the other thing that's odd about this, is that it was easy to guess that we would be talking about two of the people on this podcast having teams still playing in the Women's World Cup, but we would have guessed that I was one of them and I'm not. However, James O'Byrne, who is also a dual Australian-British like Louise, has two teams playing, I guess. Good afternoon, James. How are you today? James O'Byrne. I'm very well. Thank you very much. And thank you for inviting me onto the podcast. And welcome to Nash Tsunami, or soon be known, I think, Nash Tsunami. James is also unusual in that we do not usually have people people with three-dimensional replicas of livers over their left shoulder <laughs> while they're talking to us. And if you can get the video on James, he's got that in the background as well. So James, before we get started, please take a minute or two and tell our audience a little bit about you, your background, what you do now, how you came to be doing what you're doing, where you're doing it. And then I'll have one question for you when you're done with that. So my name is James O'Byrne. I'm a consultant hepatologist and clinical director of hepatology at the beautifully named Sunshine Coast University Hospital in sunny Queensland in Australia. I work was a transplant hepatologist by trade in the UK. Uh, funnily enough, I started my medical career on the same ward as Louise when I was a house officer many, many years ago. I'm not going to mention how many. And uh, I worked through many of the liver units in, in and around London. And then 2015, I in the Brexit referendum, I voted to remain and then I left uh, and came to Australia, where I am now. And I'm very happy. And I'm in charge of the clinical trial portfolio here at uh, the Sunshine Coast. So is Queensland as sunny as your name implies when you say sunny Queensland? Absolutely. So we're in midwinter at the moment and it's about 23 degrees Celsius during the day and sort of 14, 13, 14 in the evening. So very much shorts and t-shirt weather all year round. Sounds like Miami. Yeah, well, 
there are some similarities. So the other thing I'd like, if you could, uh, we ask everyone who comes on for the first time to share one fact about yourself that folks wouldn't know if you didn't choose to share it with them, something that's a little bit out of character or different. Okay, uh, I suppose many people wouldn't know that I have a thing about long distance cycling. And uh, a few years ago, I cycled the length of Britain from Land's End to John O'Groats over nine days, over um, nearly 200 kilometers a day and thoroughly enjoyed it. That's the thing. You know what? I, I don't believe we've ever had, a, I think you are the first person to discuss long distance cycling as what makes you special. I thought you might become the second person from Australia to talk about having played rugby, but I like this one a lot better. That's great. <laughs> well, the way the Wallabies are going at the moment, we, we tend not to mention rugby too much. <laughs> Did you do it for fun, James, or did you do it with a charity? Because that's a long distance. I did it for fun. Well done. It was a challenge, but cycling across Scotland will remain with me forever. It's absolutely beautiful. That's fantastic. Sounds like a wonderful thing to have done. With that, why don't we dive in? Louise talked about this episode last week when we talked about the two episodes Louise wanted to bring forth for the month of uh, August. So, Louise, I'm going to invite you to remind everybody why you were excited to do an episode about this paper. And then we'll ask James to start talking about the study. Great. And it's nice to have James with us. And as he said, I was a ward sister on the ward he first became a house officer on. So we go back a long way. But we're both babies, really. Uh, yeah, we just happen to now work between, well, I work between the two countries and um, James works obviously all the time now in Brisbane and Queensland which I was in about three weeks ago I was up in Cairns and I drove across the entire top end so I've been on some of the outback roads to Borroloola and places like that so I know we can get a fibre scan in there so this is one of the reasons when I looked at your study it excited me and I think this was about a year ago, year and a bit, when we were sort of looking. And I think it was the fact that what excited me more than anything is that you're looking at two different pathways, both randomised, and one was including Fibroscan at the local sourced area where the primary care physician is in a country that doesn't Medicare reimburse Fibroscan yet. So it's actually not as easy to do as some people would recognise. <laughs> You've got to put it in that pathway. And how it was, also the fact that it was patient or focused on their outcomes quality of life I think you've got multiple measures which I'm sure you're going to go on and talk to us about and I think it was that holistic approach but also that you were going to do some sort of statistical analysis and economic breakdown of what did it mean and I think it's more important now for me and where we sit within the podcast that NICE the National Institute of Care Excellence in the UK have approved Fibroscan at a primary care and secondary care and non-specialist setting they call it but we haven't got a part Pathway. Most of our pathways still sit within trials or pilot projects. So whilst it's been released, we don't know the exact pathway it's going to follow and which is going to be the best and different areas may have different ones. So this is why you revealing some of your information today and talking us through the protocol interested us when we were, were thinking about it. And I can't think of a better person to have on the podcast than Naeem to be looking at that at the moment. Well, thank you. And thank you for the opportunity to share our project. I would say that the, the data that we're going going to discuss is as yet unpublished, but I have the permission of my co-investigators, as this will go, go to print, pre-print very shortly, to, to share the, the headline data from our trial with you. But let me go back to just maybe where this started. So as I said earlier, I came across to Australia in 2016. And, and what I found at that stage was that Australia had just allowed open access, if you will, to DAAs for hepatitis C, first country in the world to allow these to be 
prescribed by primary care providers, not just hospital specialists, and, and really unrestricted access to these drugs, which was coming from the UK, which was remarkable. And we faced a wonderful problem in a way in that we had all these patients with hepatitis C, a lot of them with cirrhosis, and they needed to get on to treatment. And at the time, there were different regimens depending on whether you were cirrhotic or non-cirrhotic, and we needed a way of determining that and to get people through treatment. And of course, at the time, the primary care physicians were a sort of unskilled, really, in treatment of hepatitis C. So we were flooded with referrals. All of these patients needed a fibre scan. So we came up with a scheme that we called the Hepatology Partnership, and we put in for some money to get two mobile fibre scanners with a nurse that was funded. And rather than actually put people on a waiting list to come and see us in the hospital for a fibre scan and then a prescription, we would send our nurse out to community health clinic, GP practice, other hospitals, sometimes across the whole region, which went up to, you'll know, Louise, and the geography of, of the area. We, we sent people, um, nurses up to Bundaberg, which is 800 kilometres away, to do the fibre scans. And then we provided a report to the GP saying, this is your patient. He's got genotype 3, hepatitis C, non-serotic. This is the treatment regimen. We've done all the checks for you. And the GP would then prescribe the medications. And we treated over 2,000 people, I think, in the first sort of two years of that project. Enormously successful. And then we thought, well, we better actually sort of share some of this data and get it published, which we did. And I engaged some colleagues at uh, QUT, uh, the Queensland University of Technology, to do an economic analysis. And that's what formed the kernel of the Locate NAFLD group. Because having done all that work with hepatitis C and, and really broke the back of the hepatitis C problem in Queensland, uh, sorry, in our region of Queensland, we then sort of said, well, this is actually quite a good model of democratising access to this um, risk stratification. And could we look at another disease state? And obviously NAFLD or, or um, Mazels came to the fore. Um, we learned from the mistakes of the past. I mean, I, I'm, I'm guilty of sort of charging into things headlong. And uh, looking back at the analysis of the hepatitis C data, there's lots of things we wish we'd done differently uh, because we sort of did it more of a sort of a reaction rather than a, a proactive thing. So when we started tackling NAFLD, we said, right, let's do this properly. Let's do it as a randomized trial to prove that this model of care has benefits. Let's link it into some qualitative stuff to see that the patient experience is, is good. And let's make sure that our primary care physicians are on board as well. So we'll get some focus groups and see what the primary care physicians think about the model and look at quality of life and, and costs, etc. and so on. So we put together the group which involves myself, co-collaborators from University of Queensland, Queensland University of, of Technology, and we've got statisticians, we've got the health economists, we've got clinicians and, and a couple of nurses. And that's how Locate NAFLD started. So Locate NAFLD is the local assessment and triage evaluation of NAFLD. And it's a randomized parallel control trial of patients referred in for assessment in secondary care by their general practitioners. And they were randomized at the point of referral to either the intervention, which is a nurse goes out to a community clinic or the GP practice to perform a fibre scan. Depending on the results of that fibre scan, they're defined as low risk or high risk. And the high risk patients were then re-triaged into secondary care and seen more quickly. The people who were low risk were discharged back to their GP with a whole load of advice and information about the management of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, lifestyle measures, etc. and so on. Everybody was followed up at 12 months. And for the ones that were randomised to the standard of care, well, they had the standard of care, which was pragmatically they stayed on the waiting list until they were seen in a hepatology clinic and had their fibre scan. And the primary endpoint really was to A, demonstrate that this improved the time 
came to Fibriscan, which axiomatically you would say, well, of course it's going to. And the second endpoint was whether the time to a diagnosis of high-risk NAFLD or advanced fibrosis was shortened. And then a number of other secondary endpoints looking at, was there an improvement in patients receiving access to dietetics, to exercise physiology? We looked at things like our recommendation for a lot of these patients was that they should receive a statin. So we looked at that as a binary outcome between the two groups. And we've just done the first analysis of the primary and secondary endpoints, uh, which uh, you might not be surprised are actually pretty supportive of the uh, of the model. We, we chose a cutoff of eight based on the high negative predictive value for that cutoff because we wanted to be able to safely discharge patients back to their primary care physicians. And now back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please put them in the review section of the page from which you downloaded this conversation or send an email to questions at surfingmesh.com. We'll be back next week with another challenging topic. Till then, stay safe. Surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Surfing Mesh.